Wow. There's about 50 reasons I love working with Dave. And that's certainly one of them. But all I said to him was, this is what I'm going to share. And he said, I think I have the perfect song. So keep that in mind when you hear this message and you hear the end. Would you do that? You have sermon notes in your bulletin this morning, and it starts with a number of questions. Questions that I have found myself asking every once in a while. Questions that I know people have wrestled through. Have you had those times in your life when you had more questions than answers? Anybody? Have you had those times in your life where things didn't quite go as planned? i got to believe some of us. Have you or someone you know have ever had a moment in their life where they honestly wrestled with their faith? We don't talk about it much. Most of the time we don't share it in this context. Hopefully you have those people in your life that you can share those moments with. But i got to believe that some of us know someone, and maybe even ourselves or somebody listening here this morning, have had those times in your life when things have happened in such a way that you found even your faith rattled for a moment. If any of that is true of you or those of you who are listening, then I think this message has something to say to you. I'm winding down my ministry here with you. And as I do that, I have purposely asked God in these few sermons per Sunday, per month that I'm sharing before I retire, what are the things you want me to share? And very clearly over the last few months, between promises, promises, in the storm, pressures of life, and Psalm 19, I was absolutely certain, as I am this morning, this is what he wants me to share. Now that's a little bit different than going through the book of James or the book of Philippians. Most of us as pastors will say, I think this is a great series. And it's not like God says, hey, I've got a brand new book I'd love you to go through. It's called the book of James. Just came out. Hope you like it. Been around for 2,000 years. And so for the last 2,000 years, pastors and theologians alike have been taking those sections of Scripture or those large books of the Bible and have unpacked a series on them and allowed people to gain a number of maybe insights they've either heard before or brand new insights. But when it comes to specific topics, that's when you really need to know as a pastor, what specifically does God want to say to an individual or to the body of believers? And in these last few weeks, in these last few sermons that I've shared, I am convinced that there was somebody in the audience that needed to hear what it was that God was saying, maybe a larger body, that body than just two or three. And I am absolutely certain somebody needs to hear this message today. Now, I trust in your sermon notes you always remember some of the things that I've shared over the last 25 years, but two things I hope you always keep in mind. Always interpret Scripture in context. Always interpret Scripture in context. Don't pull it out of context. Make sure that you clearly understand what it is he's saying and how do we understand that in light of everything that's going on around it. I can give you an example after example. I'm wrestling through that with a sermon in November that I'm working on. One of the ones that are always my favorite is when a pastor leaves the church and goes to another church, someone will come in and almost always when I was growing up and in my early 20 years of ministry where a pastor would come and he would read that section of scripture from Joshua and he would start by saying this, Moses, my servant is dead. Move on. 
And I've always wanted to say, did he really die? No, he just moved to another context. But we use that verse to try to help people understand that one leader is gone, another one get. And I get all of that. And I, obviously you're going to do that as well. But he didn't die. Unless he really did. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ. I think sometimes we have to be careful with how we pull that out. Jeremiah 29. The list is endless. Second thing I want you to do is to always make sure that you never build your theology on any given subject based on one verse. But on what does scripture say about that particular subject? Example I use all the time, prayer. If I wanted to build theology on prayer, I'd take the one that says, ask whatever you want, he'll do it. I love that verse. And then I've got to make sure that I unpack scripture enough and look at some of the other sections and I realize that John says, you abide in me and I abide in you. And then you ask whatever you want, which means I've got to be connected to him, not just willfully ask whatever I want. I've got to be connected to him, and he needs to be connected to me before I take that risk of saying, this is what I want. James says you've got to be really cautious on your motives so that you make sure they're not just about you or what you want, but in the larger picture, what does God want to do? So when you're building your theology on suffering and tragedy and difficulty and questions and circumstances of life that don't make sense, what does Scripture say about all of that? Because today I'm only going to look at one. The context is coming out of Matthew chapter 11. It's the story of John the Baptist. One that I probably only have talked about one or two times in my 42 years of ministry. That is extremely unusual and very interesting because of who it's talking about. So in Matthew chapter, seven, it's, or chapter 11, it starts like this. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. So in Jesus' ministry here on earth, he had large settings and small settings. He had intimate time with three, a really close relationship with Peter, James, and John. He had a relationship with the 12, a relationship with the 72, and obviously the larger body. And on a number of different occasions, he would speak directly or differently to those different groups of people. In this context here, he speaks to the 12 and then moves on to a larger body. When John, John the Baptist, not John the author or John the disciple, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, who was now in prison, heard about what Jesus had done or the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples, because he had his as well, to ask him, Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we look for someone else? Are you who I said you were? You remember, I stood on the Jordan River, and I, I saw you coming down. And I said to everybody, every, every single person that was there, there he is. Everything that Scripture had been promising, everything that we Jews had been waiting for, everything that Isaiah talked about, everything in the list is endless of all the Old Testament prophecies, that's him. There he is. That, that's Jesus, the Messiah. I'm not even worthy to reach down and untie his shoe. And then... You asked me to baptize you? I, I wasn't even worthy to untie your shoes, let alone baptize you. And I'd been telling everybody, repent, turn to God, the Messiah is here. And now in this prison, John, of all people, asked the question, was I right? Was that true? A very honest question 
from somebody who's dealing with very difficult circumstances and extremely uncertain about the next day, let alone the next few weeks. It's almost as if he's saying, I know I was right. I know I was right. And I know that I put my confidence in you and I know I preached the truth. And I had no doubt as to who you were, but now in these dark moments, all of that seems so far away. Now, the thing we need to recognize about the question is, who's asking it? You know, John the Baptist is not your average guy in the street. So that if you took a microphone, went out and asked who Jesus was, you'd have all kinds of answers. Someone know clearly who he was. Someone would be able to absolutely testify what Jesus had done in their life. Others wouldn't have a clue. Others would just say, it's somebody we talk about in church. But this is John the Baptist asking that question. It wasn't one of the Pharisees who were always skeptical about Jesus from the beginning. This is the herald of the king who had declared absolutely who Jesus was, now finding himself in this dark dungeon asking the quest, are you who I said you were? Are you the Messiah? I just need to know for sure. Now, I don't know about you, but I always thought that prophets of God had that answer down pat before they started standing up at the Jordan River baptizing people in the name of God. But what you see in this passage of Scripture that sometimes even people in ministry, sometimes people who have such solid faith find themselves in situations where they're just wrestling with some issues and need to come to some conclusions and need to have a place or an environment where it's okay to ask that question. I have in your sermon notes the fact that what we need to hear that sometimes even loyal, faithful, committed, selfless servants sometimes get shaken. Sometimes lose their bearing. Sometimes lose their confidence. And they ask questions like, God, will this ever end? Why did this happen? Where are you in the middle of my pain? Where were you when I went through this? And am I going to come out the other side? And is it even okay to ask that and say it out loud? The doubt we see in John is not rebellion. It's not even unbelief. I honestly don't believe it's unbelief. It is a very honest question in very uncertain times. And at times when you're just simply flat out honest and need to ask the question. Will 2020 ever end? Here in this context, I believe that you and I are seeing the heart of a faithful follower of God and a wounded soldier who just has the honest moment to say, I'm really wrestling with some things and I need to be able to get it out here so that I hear you speak into that. Jesus began his ministry with the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn for they will seek comfort or find comfort. Which is a really unusual way to start a sermon as is this. But the best interpretation of that is blessed are those who get out here what's stuck down in here because it's the only way they're going to find release and help. Because if you keep it stuffed down inside and never honest about the struggle and never honest about the questions, one of two things are going to happen. You either explode or implode. And what I love about God, the 
100,000 things I love about God, every once in a while he gets us in these sections of Scripture where it's okay to ask the question. Now what you also need to remember is Scripture wasn't written just to Americans. It wasn't just written to Christians. It wasn't written to the United States. It was written to the world. It was written to those in 70 A.D. when Jerusalem burned down. It was written to those who in Nero's day had them eliminated and destroyed. It was written to those in communist China who for their faith and their belief in God find themselves in prison with their churches bulldozed and wondering if they're ever going to make it. But they are convinced that God is who he says he is. But in the dungeon and the darkness of those moments in time, they wonder. It was written to those in Southeast Asia in 1975 when all the missionaries were evacuated and a lot of them never got out. Written to Alliance missionaries in 1930 when they sent their first missionaries overseas to Africa and most of them didn't come home. And a majority of them buried their children on the field. It was written in a context all the way through time where people have had God do and see amazing things and other times when they're really dark moments. And Scripture gives us the opportunity to explore all of that. I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but I love the fact that Jesus didn't look at John and say, John, you've been eating way too many locusts, buddy. John the Baptist was known as somebody who wore camel hair and ate locusts and honey. Now, that would throw your diet off to begin with. And that would cause you to look at life a little bit skewed. But he doesn't do that at all. He doesn't look at him and say, here, let me have you some, give me some, I'm going to give you some praise music, buddy. You've got to lighten up here. He just simply lets him ask the question. And allows the opportunity to do that. Because he knows beyond the shadow of a doubt that doubt and discouragement are feelings that kingdom warriors sometimes deal with. And sometimes need to say out loud, be honest with our questions, and know that God is okay with that. Questions from people who have had something happen to them that they don't understand. Have hard, honest questions about life and ministry and circumstances. John's ministry was going incredibly well. People were flocking to him. He was getting baptized and being baptized, baptizing Jesus himself. And now all of a sudden, here he is in this prison cell and things look a little bit different. Now, maybe you can or can't identify with John, obviously, in this circumstance. But maybe every once in a while, you come on a Sunday morning and we sing and we praise and you have a great time. You feel so encouraged. You feel uplifted. You're ready to face the world. You walk out of there and you are ready. You're excited, you love the music, you love the energy, you love the camaraderie. You love being together, and then all of a sudden, somewhere Wednesday hits. And the bottom fell out. And Sunday seems further away than three days. Or maybe you came to Christ and you wanted to serve Him, you got involved in the church, and, and all of a sudden you found out church people aren't as great as I thought they were. And sometimes they hurt us. And sometimes they say things that aren't right. Or maybe you have a friend or a family member who died way too early. And you're just trying to figure out why. You're trying to figure out the timing in God's grand scheme of things. Or maybe you lost your job, especially in the middle of 2020, and you wonder, is this ever going to end? I do find it funny that my very first sermon in 2020 was seeing clearly. That's what the title was. 2020, seeing clearly. 
How's your seeing going? <laughs> a little confusing, right? The premise is still the same because it's not really about circumstances, situations, and COVID. It's about God. And always seeing him in the middle of everything, even though we do not always understand what's going on around us. Every once in a while, in almost every single situation, and Dave and Pam know exactly what I'm about to say, we tell you to stand and sing. And every once in a while, some of you sitting there, standing there, want to be really honest and say, can I just sit and listen? Yes. I don't know if I've ever given you the freedom to do that, but the answer is yes. Because every once in a while, I don't want to stand and sing. I just want to sit and listen. There are many times and most times that I really need the voice of other people and very many times that I need to share my own voice. And then every once in a while, I need those moments where I just sit for a moment and reflect and listen and think through my circumstances in my week and listen to the voices of other people. And then I'm ready to stand and sing. And what we're saying is it's okay either way. We don't always say that. We don't always give you all those kinds of instructions in the middle of that or take a time to do a sermon like this every Sunday we gather together. But I'm just simply here to say to you, it's okay. If some Sundays when we say stand and sing, you sit and listen, no one will judge you. Certainly not us. Because sometimes I just want to sit and listen. Sometimes you need the voice of other people. Sometimes you need to let God hear your voice. We sing songs like, I will sing in the middle of the storm. And so the words are on the screen and you feel like I have to sing that, even if I don't feel it. And what we're saying is, you have the freedom either way. Because sometimes in the middle of the storm, you really need to sing. And sometimes in the middle of the storm, I'm not quite ready to sing. And what I'm saying is, that's okay. Now, what you don't want to do is just simply stay there because the deeper you go and the more the tunnel goes down, the darker it will get and the more despair you will feel. But I'm saying sometimes when you look at the words on the screen and it says sing in the middle of the storm, you feel like you're not being really honest if you don't feel like singing in the middle of the storm. And all we're saying is that's okay. And what I am saying is you do want to get to the point where you can then sing. We all go through those times in our life when we want to make sure that we know that it's okay to have those kinds of questions and know that God is okay with all of that. So often pastors will use that section of scripture in the New Testament and the book of Acts where Paul and Silas, early missionaries for the gospel, find themselves like John in prison. And in their case, instead of asking questions, they have a praise gathering. They sing and they praise and Man, all of a sudden, the chains fall off, the doors fly open, and they're ready to go. Going back to what I said earlier, when you look at the composite picture of Scripture, often it happens that way, and often it ends up like John, who didn't see the next day. And the prison doors didn't open, and his chains didn't fall off. He died for his belief. And sometimes that happens. I'm just saying it doesn't always happen the way in one moment. It's this larger picture of Scripture. John was a man of the wilderness, used to the wind in his faces, wide open spaces. And now all of a sudden this dungeon seems so close on him 
and the walls, as we sang a moment ago, keep closing in. And John just needs to hear Jesus say, John, what you believe is true, even if you don't feel it right now. Sometimes when a battle goes up and gathers too long in your sermon notes and the heat gets turned up, it's important for us to hear the voice of God, whether it's somebody else singing, whether it's us singing, whether it's the word of God or the message from God, we need to hear, you are on the right path. And you are believing the right things, even though right now it looks a little uncertain. Could be a pastor. After years of sharing and no results, it could be a missionary across the sea in another place who've been there for 25, 30 years and not one single convert. Every year in October, end of September, beginning of October, we host a conference for all the pastors in our district. And so they all come from all over the district. And some of them look around and look at our facility and look at the sanctuary and go, wow. And they have 15 people that show up and they're always struggling with finances and they have two kids in their children's ministry and if they have a third, they want to anoint them as a chosen king because they have such a small church and ministry. And we're so blessed. Sometimes people go through difficulty when a child dies or divorce happens and questions arise, honest, honest, hard questions. God, I thought I married the right one and now all of a sudden they left me and I don't understand. I started a ministry I thought you wanted me to start. Now things have fallen apart. God, I prayed for my dad, my mom, my brother, my sister for healing. I prayed for them to come to you and they didn't. I don't understand that. And what this passage does is God's giving us a gift to say it's okay to ask that question. Also in this passage, God gives us a gift in a visible demonstration where he backs up enough to allow us to look at what God is doing when we're only seeing the moment and only seeing the given circumstance. Because when you look at what Jesus does and how he handles it and what John recognizes and what his disciples are going to tell him about all the things that Jesus was doing, Jesus gives him a gift and allows John to back up enough to say, oh, it's not just about this, it's not this moment, it's not this year, it's not this prison cell. It's about the kingdom of God that is much broader than the moment. And it's an incredible gift. I honestly believe with all of my heart that John died with his faith renewed because he knew what he was laying his life down for was true and real. Jesus also gives us another gift, or at least gives John a gift here, and I think us as well, is instead of putting John down for his faith, he affirms him and lifts him up. All the things that he says about John in Matthew 11, 7 to 15, when he talks about this great warrior and great spokesperson and great man of God, instead of putting him down saying, come on, John, he lifts him up and encourages him. I love the fact that sometimes in those deep waters, God will bring somebody else into our life or our circumstances, our situation, or send, in this case, fast forward to now in our technology where somebody sends you a text or an email and just simply says, you're doing great. I love you. I'm praying for you. I know you're going through deep waters. I know you don't understand why. I just want you to know you're loved and cared for. And it was just that right thing at the right time, at the right moment, when you're questioning everything around you, and all of a sudden God in his incredible majesty and sovereignty does it the right time and the right way. And instead of feeling beaten down, 
you feel lifted up and encouraged. Isaiah 43, I think it's in your sermon notes this morning, when there are so many times in our life when things go that we don't understand. We have those reminders of God as they sang about a moment ago, that he'll be with us in the fire. When we pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they won't sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. The flames will be there, but I will also. I promise you, I'll walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. I promise you, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you all the way to the end. I do guarantee that you and I will have times in our life when things happen that we don't understand. Nowhere in Scripture in your sermon notes does it say that we believers will figure it all out or understand it all. Paul said, i got to be honest with you, sometimes I look like I'm looking through a glass darkly. I know there's going to come a day when I can see clearly, but right now I'm looking through a foggy window and I'm just wondering what's on the other side. And sometimes God opens that up and wipes the fog away and sometimes we don't. We just have to decide, do I still have confidence in him or not? Pastors don't always understand. People don't always understand. Every once in a while, we'll drop a verse and make people feel like they're guilty because they really haven't had a clear understanding of what God's wanting to do in their life, and they're blaming themselves and other people. And we'll, God just simply says, I am okay with that. Let me remind you that I'm right here. Let me remind you that I love you regardless. Because you see, our security in your sermon notes isn't what we know. Our security is in who we know. It isn't what I understand and what I figure out and what will happen next and what will happen after the election and what will happen next year and when will Christ return and what does all these signs mean and are all of these the end time? I don't know. There are prophets of God all over the country telling you different things. I don't know. I'm one of the ones that I don't know. To be honest with you, for the last six months, my standard answer is I don't know. I'm not sure. My security isn't what I know and what I understand. My security is in who I know and who he is. When you look at Job in the Old Testament, a man who certainly had more sense than to be a prosperity preacher, who just simply said, I don't get it, I don't like it, but I'm trusting in him. I don't like the ass heap, I don't like the boils, I really don't care for my wife coming out saying, curse God and die. But I'm trusting God no matter what. I don't understand it. I don't even like it. But I know he's in charge. And I'm trusting in him. Jim Dobson wrote a book. I referred to it a few times in my ministry life here about this thing called When God Doesn't Make Sense. And the whole book is story after story after story of things that don't make sense. And so I found myself when I read it the first time just sitting there on the edge of my seat saying, okay, brother, Jim, I trust you, man. You're Jim Dobson, for heaven's sake. So... I'm, I'm ready. Tell me the answer because i got a congregation I want to give the answer to. And he concludes by saying this. I know you're at the edge of your seat waiting for me to answer about all the things that don't make sense. And I don't have the answer. But I know I have God who does. And I know at some point in your journey of life, you're going to have to separate your understanding of what God does from your confidence in him. Because even if you don't understand, you have to trust him. Because when that falls away, you have nothing to hold on to. And he concludes by saying this. When you think about it, there's a lot of comfort in that approach to know that God is in charge and I'm not. Because I'm relieved of the responsibility of trying to figure it out by myself. 
I love Matthew in your sermon, those 12, 20 description of Jesus. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not stuff, snuff out. The reed he's referring to in there is the reed in a musical instrument. It's the one that you see in a, in a clarinet, in a saxophone. It's where the wind goes through and makes a beautiful sound. And although when I grew up I was playing a trumpet, so I knew what that one meant. I didn't know much about the clarinet or the saxophone. But I knew that reed was, had to be perfect for them to make the right sound and the right music out of that. And if it didn't work, you threw it away and you got another reed. And then early in my life, I read this section of Scripture and I thought, how fascinating, God. Because when my music doesn't flow and I cannot sing like I want to and I don't sing in the middle of the storm and the song just doesn't come naturally, I'm so delighted to know you just don't discard me. You allow me to go through that and you give me that window of time to bring healing to my soul so that I will come to that point of being able to make music again. And that smoldering wick, you don't snuff out. You let it burn for a while. You let the questions come and the wrestling come and the conversations happen. And then the light comes back on and I'm still shining. Sometimes we come to those moments in our life where there is a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of uncertainty about the future. There's a lot of uncertainty about after the election. There's a lot of uncertainty about what 2021 is going to look like and what the future is going to look like. I honestly don't know the answer to any of that. I can give you all kinds of suggestions. I can give you all kinds of opinions. But what I do trust in is God and His sovereignty. And I am confident that He is exactly who He says He is. And He will do exactly what He says He can do. And my trust is in Him. I appreciate what medical science can do and certainly what we're wrestling through with COVID. I get all of that. I don't doubt any of it. But my confidence is in God and my trust in Him, even in the middle of the things I just don't quite understand. So wherever you're at this morning, whatever you're going through, whatever you're going through, for those of you who are listening online, my trust is you will do exactly what He says in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me. All who are weary, who have questions, who are wrestling with things they don't quite understand. Because you will find exactly what you need in Him. Weak and weary laden, weighed down with all the uncertainties of life, come to Him. So God, we do that. I thank you for bringing our church family here together this morning. For allowing those online to hear your heart, hear your word. Pray you'll continue to walk with us in our journey. There are people all over this audience and people who are listening and all around the globe who are wrestling with a lot of things. We lay our country, our people, our church family before you. We ask in the name of Jesus that you will continue to walk with us day by day in this journey. We lay our nation before you in this election. In a few days, we pray, oh God, in the name of Christ, that you will go before Allow us to be involved in the process. I pray, God, that you will continue to lead us as a nation, bring healing and restoration to this land that is so divided and in such upheaval. Help us to know that you are our only answer in it all. 
please lead us through this process. Continue to walk with us in our journey until that day when the trumpet sounds and we see you face to face. In the meantime, keep our eyes on you, our rock and our redeemer, in whose name we pray. Can I be really honest with you and ask you a question? Anybody need what I shared this morning? A couple of you? Okay. Pass it on. God bless you. Have a great, great day.